All right, if y'all would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. We're continuing uh, our sermon series through the parables. And uh, really what... If this parable tonight is going to answer a question, really the question would be, how do you grow as a Christian? We're all wondering what it means to either become our best self or how to get better at school. We're all looking for different areas of growth. But in the most important area, what does it mean to grow as a Christian? Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. Let me encourage you even throughout the sermon to keep your Bibles open to keep coming back to it. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are not merely the God who answers a prayer, but you are the God who answers prayer. And everything we prayed for a moment ago, we ask that not only we, we, that we would take confidence that you will answer that prayer, but we also pray again that you would help us to hear the word of Christ. Change us. Convert us. Root out sin in our life. Lord, help us to see the gospel yet again another night. Help us just to turn that diamond to see it from another angle in all of its beauty. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. So we ask that by the power of the Spirit, we might come alive. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I have a compass that sits on my desk that my dad had given me. Maybe some of you have seen it. And it's a compass where whenever you open up, you you can see inscription on the inside. And here's what it says. Always keep him as your true north. Talking about Jesus. Always keep him as your true north. Whenever growing up, going out in the... Gulf of Mexico, deep sea fishing. That's what you always want to remember. You always want to remember where true north is because that's where land is. You see, when we remember where true north is, we know where to go. There are times when you go out so far that you're driving the boat two, three hours and you haven't seen land forever. How do you know how to get back? And how do you know that you're actually making the right progress to to get back. See, one of the things that I learned growing up is that even when you couldn't see land, but if you knew where true north was, you're going to get there. It might not always feel like it. It might take several hours until you even can see land. But if you remember where true north is, you're going to get there. You see, what might happen if we had stopped trusting the tried and true instruments and just went with gut feeling, we'd most likely get ourselves even more lost. That's actually a good question we can ask ourselves about the Christian life. 
Do we know where true north is? Do we know where we're going? Or are we just going by gut feeling? You see, when we remember that Jesus himself is true north, even if we have to go through storms, even if we have to go against the current, even if the waves are big or boats are going in the other direction, if we remember where true north is, we will get home. But if you don't remember where true north is, or if you get distracted, or you try out other strategies, you will not get to where you need to go. The question is, are you going true north? Are you going where you need to go? You see, when Jesus is your true north, you will move in the right direction, even when it doesn't feel like it. The context here with Jesus is that he is furthering his ministry and right now crowds are gathering around him, but it's not going to be too much longer when he's going to do some very unpopular things. He's going to say some unpopular truths and people will eventually leave Jesus. And the question is going to be this, is he going the right direction? Is he actually going to bring the kingdom of God? Jesus is telling this parable to say, look, If you keep your true north, no matter what happens, you will get home. Jesus himself is the true north. The question is, is he your true north? Look back at verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. See, one of the things we need to remember is this, that gospel ministry is a mysterious movement. It's a mysterious movement. That's why we have to remember always where true north is, because oftentimes we won't really know where we're going. We don't always trust that God knows what he's doing. But Jesus is telling us to keep true north ahead of us. What does he mean again when he says the kingdom of God, just as a refresher? Remember, the kingdom of God is that end time kingdom that when it would come, it would bring true peace and renewal and blessings. Jesus is the king of the end time kingdom. He brings it in, but we don't see the fullness of it yet. It's like it's the appetizer, you know, or even better, it's like the the samples at Costco. You can taste part of it now, but you'll get the full thing later. Jesus is telling us that this is how the kingdom of God works. This is how we know we're growing in the kingdom. We'll see this happen in our lives. But now, who is it that plants the seed? Look at it. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts, and he just he doesn't know how. Well... The man here that Jesus is talking about is most likely not him because he knows how the gospel grows in our hearts, right? So who is he talking about? He's talking about you and me because we spread seeds. We we evangelize. We talk to people about the gospel. We invite friends to Bible study or we bring them to large group or or corporate worship or we have those apologetic conversations or we tell people our testimonies or we disciple other people or we give them a book or whatever it is. We're often entering into these conversations. That's what we do. This is who we are. But oftentimes we don't really know how God's at work. 
We just go out there and we're faithful, but we trust him to be fruitful. What is the actual seed here? It says that he's scattering seed on the ground. The seed is this. The seed is the gospel. The gospel as declared in the fullness of God's word. The gospel, once again, is the good news that God sent his only son into the world to die a sinner's death. And he died a sinner's death on the cross as he took God's wrath so that sinners could be reconciled to God. And we would be reconciled to God, not because we were good enough, but because he is. It's all by his grace. It's that message that we, as it were, throw out there, that we tell people about, that we invite them to come and hear. That's who we are, spreading that news here at Oklahoma State. But I love what Jesus says in John 12, 24. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, or we could also say a seed, that unless it falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus knew that if he's going to bear fruit on Oklahoma State's campus, he would have to die. And that's the message we tell people. It's not glamorous. It doesn't seem like, you know, the latest multi-million view of a TED Talk or whatever it is. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's power to save. I think it's amazing that Jesus is using this language of a seed. You see, when you plant a seed, you know, a a, a flower or a bush or a tree or whatever it is will come out of the ground. In, In other words, like when you have enough of that, you have a garden. Now, when God created mankind, where did he place them? He placed them in a garden, the Garden of Eden. But when sin came into the world, were Adam and Eve, were they allowed to stay within the garden? No. God exiled them from the garden and he put them into the wilderness. In other words, the barren land. Because that's what our sin does. Our sin and us in our sin, we can never bear fruit to God. Like a desert, we are dead to God. He must be the one who makes us alive. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus makes us alive by himself dying. But here's what's amazing. When we embrace the gospel, when we embrace that seed, do you know eventually where you will go at the end of the times? You will go to a garden. Because the entire earth, as we read in Revelation 21 and 22, the entire earth will be the Garden of Eden 2.0 spread throughout all of creation. God is bringing renewal through the gospel. Amen? You see, this is the mission that God had actually given Adam in the very beginning, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28, when he said, he told them, be fruitful and multiply. They didn't do good. They did bad. As I told y'all, I think week one, you know, when I tell Knox, I say, Knox, are you being a good job? They were not being a good job. And they failed. But here's what's amazing. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, we see 
that shortly after Jesus had sent the Holy Spirit and thousands of people are born again, they're going throughout all the surrounding regions. They're telling people the gospel. Here's how it describes the word of God. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. God never gave up, gave up on his mission back in Genesis 1.28. It would be the gospel that would accomplish it. Do you guys know that that's the mission that you are intricately a part of at Oklahoma State in the years that you were here? God is being fruitful and multiplying through you on this campus through the people and opportunities that you have. But it's not under your inability. It's because of the gospel. We know that whenever we proclaim the gospel, Isaiah 55, 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and, the, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. Do you know what's amazing about this moment right here, right now? No matter how tired you are, no matter how much unbelief you have, no matter what sin struggle you have, everyone who is here, even people who are to walk by while these doors are closed, maybe at this very moment, and they hear a glimpse of God's word. God's word goes forth, and when it comes back to him, it never comes back to him having done nothing. God's word is always working, because his spirit is always working. The question is, do you have the faith to receive it, or do you have unbelief that further hardens your heart? The gospel is always at work. And that's the confidence that we can have that no matter where we go, when we just spread the seed, God is always at work. I love what Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. One of the reasons why we need to be a ministry that is rooted, saturated in the Bible is because what we sow, we will reap. You realize in this, right? You will not just be judged individually, but we will be judged even as a ministry. You realize that? We will be judged as a group with me as the leader. And the question will be, did we do things according to God's plan or according to our plan? That's a scary thing, but it's also an amazing thing. You know why? Because we can trust that if we're doing things God's way, no matter what happens in this life, he will get his people. Amen. He will get them. When you keep Jesus as your true north, you will increase, you will multiply, you will grow. But how does the seed grow? You see that. He, he, he spreads the seed and it says, verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he doesn't know how. It's kind of funny. Jesus is, is kind of being a little facetious here, but yet at the same time, it is kind of a mystery at the end of the day. How does it actually grow? See, here's really what he's saying is that, remember when a farmer would take a seed and put it in the ground, you would cover it up and then you just sit there. Now, obviously we know Yes, you're going to do further stuff. But Jesus doesn't give us the whole process. So those of you who are in agriculture, you know, Jesus knows these things. 
But he's making a point here. That's why he's leaving out all the details. He's making a point here saying that the kingdom of God is powerful in and of itself to do the work. We do all we're called to do, and we trust God with the results. We are called to be faithful, and we trust God to be fruitful. You see, the seed, when it's, as it were, invisible, we're wondering if it's going to do what it's supposed to do. But Jesus is telling us that despite all opposition, the seed will grow and bear fruit. No matter the storms, no matter the animals, no matter the weeds that might, that might choke it, no matter the insects or whatever it is, the gospel of the kingdom will grow. See, I love that Jesus is saying this because as his ministry goes on, he's going to face a lot of opposition. You know you're doing good ministry when you face opposition. Because the gospel is first bad news before it's good news. Jesus is going to have people leave him. He's going to have people oppose him. He's going to have people who eventually want to kill him. And the question is what his disciples would think. Is this the right type of ministry? Guys, let me tell you something in our age of wanting everyone to like us. If we're going to be faithful to God's scripture, people will not like us. You don't want to be unnecessarily offensive, but you will be offensive because it is Christ's message and he's told us that. We don't like hearing about sin. We don't like hearing about our need for a savior. We don't like hearing about how we don't have any ability in and of ourselves. We don't like hearing about how God deserves the glory rather than us. When God's word goes forth, it will face opposition. But stand firm. No matter what happens, no matter what opposition is out there, God will always win. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8.28 when he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know what's amazing in your individual life? The remaining sin that you still have to deal with. The crippling guilt and shame from that sin. Maybe the overwhelming suffering that you're in right now. Or maybe you, don't, you feel like you don't have all the answers to all your questions. Or the increasing persecution that, that you're facing or we're facing. Or even your own personal weakness. None of those things can separate you from his love. Amen. What Jesus is telling you is that no matter what comes across your path, if he is your true north, you will make it home. You will make it home. See, that's why we never say this. We never say that Jesus can't change us or that Jesus can't change us in a certain area of our life. To say that there is some sin or some struggle that Jesus cannot change us in is to say that something is stronger than Jesus. You might feel like, but I don't see myself changing much. We're going to get to that part in just a second. But let me tell you something. No one and nothing is stronger than Jesus. He was risen from the dead. Someone even earlier today told me this. I love this example. He said... What if you merely, if it could be measured, what if you merely grew just, you know, a spiritual centimeter every year? Like not much at all. Hardly any growth recognizable to anyone else. If you only grew a centimeter every year spiritually, do you know what would happen after 31 years? 
31 centimeters. You are growing. God is at work. And always, always, always believe that, especially when you don't feel like it. His word is telling you that there's nothing he cannot, he cannot fight. There's nothing he cannot conquer. He has you where he wants you. You keep looking to him as your true north. He will win. When you keep him as your true north, you will grow. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's also telling us here that when things don't appear like anything is happening, we need to continue to look to him. Actually, it was interesting in, in the first century, there was this group of people kind of similar to the Pharisees, but a little bit different. They were called the zealots. In other words, they were zealots because they had a lot of zeal. You see, as one person describes them, the zealots were people with so much zeal and energy, they wanted to bring in God's kingdom in their own way and in their own timing. Let me ask you this. How do you try to microwave God's process? How do you try to speed up God's timing or change God's ways so however it can be really relevant on this campus? We often say this, if we only had this, then we would see revival. Or if we only did this, then we'd see church growth. But my friends, God knows what he's doing. When we say that we need to change things, we're saying that God doesn't know what he's doing. What that's saying about us is that, God, we know better than you. That's a bold statement. It actually shows us how much of an idol of control we have. You see, never judge God's work only by your five senses. Guys, we only have five senses. That is not much, by the way. God is infinite. He is doing far beyond all eyes can see. You will not realize a centimeter of what God is doing in your life until heaven. He is doing far beyond. It will take an eternity for you to realize what all God has done in your life. Keep looking at him. Ephesians 3.20 actually says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Have you ever thought about this? You cannot outthink God about how glorious he can be in this world. You cannot outthink God, or as it were, you cannot outdesire God for who he wants to save on this campus. One of the things I often remind myself, because I'm always very eager to preach to y'all because I love y'all and also feel the burden of this calling to preach. Sometimes why I'm sorry, I preach long. But no one wants to preach to you more than God wants to preach to you. Amen? That's why he gathers you in. See, God is often like when we're deep sea fishing yet again. You can't see what's happening down at the bottom of the 100 or 120 feet of, of water. You can only see 20, 30 feet down there. But when you trust your instruments, when you trust the tried and true strategies, when you trust, as it were, your depth finder, that when you lower the lure down there, you can trust that there are fish down there. Just wait. Just wait. You're, you don't see everything that's happening in your life. It looks like just murky chaos. 
But God is the true fisher of men. God knows what he's doing. You might see people on this campus, you might see people in this very room, and you say, they're never going to change. My friends, don't you ever put God in a box. He's God. See, we often look at, you know, ministry, and we can see, you know, either a, a ministry that doesn't have as many numbers, or they're not as relevant, or they're not saying the right things, or whatever it is, and we can think, I don't know if God's at work. Maybe you can look at your family or your friends and the way they're living or just their stubbornness or whatever it is. And you think, I don't think God's at work. You look at the world and you hear all the news and the chaos and the values that are being promoted and the values that are being hated on. And you think, I don't think God's at work. You look in your own life at the mess of sin that is there in your life. You're not just broken. You are shattered and you can do nothing about it. And you think maybe God's not at work. This is what Jesus is addressing in this text for you tonight. He is telling you, keep me as your true north, and I will bring you all the way home. Here's how we often get in trouble. We often get in trouble when we try to help God out. As a friend used to tell me when we were in seminary class, never try to get God out of theological jail because you will end up in theological jail. We often try to help God out, but when we try to help God out, we get in trouble. It's not that we don't care, not that we're not passionate, not that we're, not, not, not that we're complacent. We care, we long for these people. We know that God's at work in us the more we long for people to be saved. But we also need to trust Him, not try to help Him out. We often try to develop our own strategies and we turn the gospel into a form of self-help or we only want to focus on what's practical. We often reduce the preaching we hear or corporate worship because we think that there are going to be other things that will gather people in. I remember hearing Sinclair Ferguson being asked the question and someone asked him, what's one of the biggest reasons why the American church is in decline today? Without skipping a beat, he said the elimination of uh, Sunday evening worship. Why did he say that? He followed it up saying this, there's no way that a mature Christian can be formed with only hearing the word preached for 25 minutes a week. We minimize God's truths because we don't want to be offensive or we try to be big, loud, and relevant because we think that the world's doing it, so we need to do it. We try to microwave God's process because we think we need the fruit and all the fruit now. We want to reach a certain group of people, which is great, but when we have struggles reaching them, we'll water down the gospel and we'll change it just so that they can come in. We'll change terms and definitions because we think that maybe people will relate more. Or we'll begin to look at God's word and we'll, see, we'll say, well, it needs help. You know, the scriptures are good, but if we really want to see people grow, we also need this. Really, at the end of the day, all this is a lack of trusting the power of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power. By the way, that word for power is dunamis, which is dynamite. It is the heavenly dynamite of God for the entire process of salvation. Trust it. I literally have heard people say this. The gospel is good to save people, but we also need blank to change people. 
When you put a Jesus plus something else out there, it is no longer gospel, it is works. We often ask the question, are we on the right side of history? My friends, the biggest question is, are we on God's side? It might not appear that we might be on the right side of history right now, but at the last judgment day, we will see who's truly on the right side of history, and it's when we're doing things according to God's word. We can't control the kingdom. We can't predict the kingdom. We can't tame the kingdom. You see, yes, there are things that God, we, we deduce from His Word that are great and that are helpful, but at the end of the day, it's not those programs or strategies or schemes in and of themselves. It is God who does the work. See, one of the church's biggest mistakes, it comes from not trusting God's ways and God's timing. That's why we need to trust the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace, what are they? It's God's Word. It's the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism. It's prayer and even doing all that within community. That is applied in many different situations and scenarios all across you know, decades and ages and also in cultures. But a simple ministry of God's means of grace that will always bear fruit. The Word, sacraments, prayer, and community. I love it because in Mark chapter 4, a little bit later, you'll see in verses 35 to 41, I believe it's verse 37, even look at that below. It says, in a great windstorm, literally like a a hurricane type storm, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so the boat was already filling. Verse 38, but Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Do you know why he's asleep on the cushion? Because he trusts that no matter what comes up against his plan, God is always at work. Frankly, that means for some of us is this. You can get some sleep. (laughs) Matter of fact, do you you want to know why God ordained that you would sleep a third of your life? A third of your life, you would sleep. That is one of the biggest ways in which you can know that God is God and you are not. We need to put our trust in God's grace, not our gifts. You see, it's when we keep Jesus as our true north, the gospel as our true north, that even when it's mysterious, we will move home. Gospel ministry is not just a mysterious movement, it is also a maturing movement. Look at verse 28. The earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Again, verse 29, but when the grain is ripe at once, he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. See, what is gospel ministry? Gospel ministry is God sovereignly maturing you and me. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen? He's at work. And that is a precious truth right there. Again, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Do you want to know what's amazing about uh, following up Shane Hatfield? I guess this has almost been two years. Do you know what's amazing about this? It doesn't matter who did what. 
God gives the growth. We just do it according to God's ways. Whoever comes in next, however long RUF is going to be here, Lord willing, until Christ comes back, whoever steps here, when they do it according to God's ways, he will bear fruit. Come on now. I want to make sure y'all are alive tonight, right? I know it's been career fair and exams and all that. <laughs> you see, here's one of the things you need to realize. When you long to see yourself or someone else change, trust God's process and God's timing. Let me reiterate that again. When you want to see someone else change, you are not the Holy Spirit. Please hear that. Let him be the spirit. He's going to use you how he would use you. Do you want to change your own life? You are not the Holy Spirit. Keep looking to him as your true north. He will change you. You see, I love what Jesus is telling us here. It's kind of like these three stages. That's really not the best word to use, but almost three stages or phases of the Christian life. It's never that simple of like, you know, on day 79, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm the blade. And then on day 80, hey, I'm the, I'm the ear now. It's not that easy. A lot of these things will bleed into each other. But I do think what Jesus is talking about here is a good way for us to understand how a Christian grows. A lot of this, what I'm about to tell you is, Coming from John Newton and his letters, John Newton is who wrote many hymns. The most famous of them is Amazing Grace. First, let's think about the blade. The blade is, you know, I don't mean this to be like demeaning, but it's, it's kind of like the baby Christian. How do you know if you're in this phase? See, when you're in this phase, your faith is weak, but your heart is very warm. You often fall, but the Father holds you up. You're not always fully aware of how sinful you really are. And so when your sin gets revealed to you more and more, it often just crushes you. Baby Christians can tend to be foolish or they can have zeal without knowledge. They can tend to rest in what you do and what you do for God rather than resting in what God has done for you. Baby Christians tend to lose focus on Christ's righteousness for you. And we're tempted to think that Jesus is good, but now i got to earn my own righteousness. We are in this phase of thinking about that we, we can rest in what we do for God rather than what God does for us. This is often why whenever we do great things, good things, biblical things, like mission trips and mercy ministries or even preaching or evangelism or apologetics or whatever it is, we often want to be known as that guy or that girl because we find our security in how well we're doing something. Baby Christians can tend to be self-righteous towards others who don't do what they do. Baby Christians can often struggle with insecurity in the Christian life and they don't firmly believe that they are truly, fully forgiven. They can tend to put most emphasis on their feelings and their emotions rather than on theology. They tend to look too much inside themselves rather than outside at Christ. They forget that the Christian life is is actually really connected to our growth and understanding God's word. I think what's really interesting is this. 
when we think about this, is it any wonder that in, in the American church today, as we have de-emphasized knowing theology, the church has gone more and more ungodly? This is why we often, because we, we, we live by our emotions, we often change ministries or churches because we want to have something right now and that feels rather than waiting for God to work. The baby Christian is often not familiar enough with how dynamic the heart is. And so your highs are very high, but your lows are very low. To be sure, please hear me. The baby Christian is a Christian. It is a seed that is, that is growing. You believe in Christ for salvation. The spirit of bondage is losing its grip on you. You're growing even though it doesn't always feel like it. And for the baby Christian, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. God will often put us through times to make us rely less on ourselves and more on him. That's what he'll do. You see, what's interesting about the blade uh, coming out of the seed is that the blade is not always visible to the world. See, that's why we need to be very careful that whenever someone says that they profess to be a Christian, that we're not popishly declaring, well, that person's not a Christian just because you don't see it. You see, we need to help people when they're in this phase that even when they don't see God at work, we need to help them say he is at work. Just keep going north. Keep looking. This is a gradual process. It is a progressive work. It is not instantaneous. It is not easy, Mac. It is gumbo. And it's long cooked gumbo. Amen? Come on now. You see, this is when Peter, in John 21, 21 to 22, it says when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, well, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to Peter, if it's my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Can I tell you something? Stop constantly comparing yourself to other Christians and keep going north. Let God have his process with his people in his timing and in his ways. You keep going north. You keep following Jesus and he will work. God is at work in your life even when it doesn't feel like it. That's the baby Christian. The adolescent Christian, this is the one with the ear. Isn't that fun to think about? Who is this person? How do you know if you're seeing part of this in your life? You're growing in your knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You're growing in confidence in his saving power. You're growing in your understanding that in him is all that you need for all of life and godliness. You, be, you can become in this stage, you can become greatly overwhelmed with how much sin you see in yourself and in the world. You're learning to strive for, for holiness and more obedience to his commandments. You begin to really feel what spiritual warfare is. Even at times, Christians in this phase, they can be caught in very gross public sin. And it's very humbling and exposing. Yet most often, this is the stage when Christians, if it's not publicly exposed, exposed to your own heart. And you see how much heinousness is actually there. This is often the season of life when the Lord will withdraw his felt presence. It's not like he withdraws from you, but you don't always feel his presence. Why does he do that? He does that so that we might see our sin. 
so that we might understand how weak we are, so that we might kill our pride, so that we might root out our idolatry. This is often the season where we grow to know more of what God means when He covenants Himself to you. You see, this is the stage of life when it does not feel like God loves you, but you keep coming back to His Word and you see that He says He does. The adolescent Christian is someone who is learning to have the Word dwell in them more and more and using the Word to interact with their emotions rather than just being swayed totally by their emotions. They have a knowledge, a growing knowledge of their own weakness and as, the, as they know their weakness and their sin more, they're often a lot more gentle with people who are weak and sinful. Do you want to know how you're growing more mature, RUF? Do you want to know how, as a group, we're growing more mature? The less we run over people. You see, here's another thing you need to remember if you're in this phase, or if you're in any phase. If you keep constantly digging up the dirt and constantly self-examinating, you're not going to grow. There's a time for self-examination. It's there in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It's true. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? My friends, don't just look at yourself. Look at Christ in you. And keep moving north. You see, when we keep Jesus as our true north, we will move in the right direction, even if it seems like we're not. But what about the mature Christian? What about the full grain in the ear? See, I wonder how many of us are waiting to hear about this category so we can be really proud about ourselves. And if we are, that actually shows that we're most likely not. You see, there's no secret sauce to Christian maturity. It just takes God's time. But here's how you can see part of this in your life. You're learning to live in absolute dependence on God. What Newton says, in a sense, he is much stronger because he has more of a feeling and constant sense of his own weakness. His heart has deceived him so many times that he's being weaned from trusting in his own heart. And after finding again and again the vanity of all the other helps, he is now taught to go to the Lord at once for grace to help in time of need. That's how you know you're growing in maturity. Less of you, more of Him. You grow actually more childlike rather than less childlike. You've seen a world full of sin in your heart to be desperately evil. And so instead of resting in your own experiences, you learn to run to the Word, sacraments, prayer, and community. You're really growing in your knowledge of the doctrines of Scripture. You're getting far better at making good judgment and discernment. Your thoughts are actually more so on heavenly things. As one person says, great business is to behold the glory of God in Christ. I wonder if that's what we would say today, because often we can look at mature ministries, and we often think they're mature because they're doing, 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 doing. But it's really boring just to study Jesus. You see, this is why people who are in older, older phase of this, they really aren't satisfied whenever Jesus is not the main character in a sermon. Trust me, I've heard that from people, and I've t- sought to be very practical, and very mature Christians have come up 
What do they want to see? They want to see more of him. We're less in this stage, we're less influenced by the big and the flashy and the spectacular, and we're learning to hear God in the still, small voice. We're developing more of the disciplines and habits rather than just following whatever moods we're in. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, You're babies until you understand the difference between grace and works. You're adolescents until you understand that everything in your life is necessary and that if it's not necessary, he withholds it. You see, essentially, here's the summary of what we're looking at. Maturity moves away from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Maturity moves away from the emotional roller coaster and toward a disciplined life and the spiritual habits. Maturity moves away from putting our faith in how good we're doing and toward being secure in Christ because of what he's done. Maturity moves away from the self-centered evaluation and moves towards more evaluating Christ for us. Maturity moves away from thinking too highly about ourselves and we actually become more humble. Maturity moves away from the impulse to correct others in harsh arrogance and more in a humble and loving and gracious correction. Maturity moves away from a fearfulness over life's circumstances and toward a steady confidence in God's sovereignty for all of life. And maturity moves away from worldly securities and toward an increasing trust in God's way and God's timing. Why do I preach to you for a longer time than maybe other people do? My job and my calling is to preach God's word to you in the best way I can to explain it and apply it in your life because I have to answer to the Lord to say, did I shepherd these souls? Did they grow? Every Wednesday night, I have to stand up here. And when I drive home, I have to think, did I give God's message or my own? That's why. And you're never going to grow on a meager diet of the word. I know sometimes I get boring. I apologize. But there's nothing that can grow you like keeping you focused on true north. That's why we do this. If you're struggling, no matter what phase you're in, Keep your eyes on true north. He will bring you home. Let's pray. Father, we're asking in your mercy that you would help us see the wonders of the gospel. The wonders that on the last day when the great harvest comes, that we will be judged to be righteous in your sight all because of Christ. Help us to keep true north as true north Help us to keep seeing Christ in all of his glory and help us to know that we will get home. We ask all this in his name. Amen.